You want to be getting out your Bibles and turning to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where the sermon will be coming from this evening. We've been looking at the life of David uh, and seeing how God interacts in the life of David and how David has responded in the way that David has lived his life. Uh, And it's interesting to us as we've looked through all this, we've seen the interaction between God and David and we've seen David as a man who has a heart that is focused on God, that wants to do God's will. Uh, It seems as though he loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. And it seems as though God is taking special care of David. Uh, He has brought him to the point where he is now king of Israel. Uh, Saul, his enemy, was defeated by the Philistines. And now David is sitting on the throne over all the tribes of Israel, having conquered Jerusalem and taken over the city and made his own house there. David is king. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it presses on that point over and over again. David is now king. He is the one who God has anointed to be king over His people. And through much trial and tribulation, He has made it to the point where He is reigning over all of Israel. It's interesting as we've studied the story of David, we've seen this rise and fall and then the rise again of David and God taking special interest in his life. David's life and and the things that David says in the Psalms are a huge part of what Scriptures are really all about. You might think about what is the most important stories of the Old Testament. Uh, Whose lives are are the most important or what, what stands out most as we study the Old Testament. We might think about creation. We might think about Noah. We might think about Abraham. But hopefully we think about David. Because what God does with David is one of the most important things that we find in the Old Testament. God reveals to David his plans to fix what mankind messed up in the beginning of creation. And that's what we have revealed to us here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God's plans for fixing mankind. It's no wonder that whenever we get to the New Testament, you may be like me, you may have noticed there's all these references to David. There's there's more direct quotations from the book of Psalms than any other book of the Old Testament. David and the Psalms are referred to over and over again. And what we're studying about this evening is an essential part of who Jesus is and what He came here to do. We said earlier that David shines the strongest light, it seems, of the Old Testament into who Jesus will be and what he will be coming here to accomplish. 2 Samuel 7 helps us to fully see that. I hope that you'll study this with me uh, this evening. In chapter 7 we see that David is, is set up and established as king. David is given rest from his enemies. He looks around and he sees that he's conquered many of the main enemies of God. Many of the main enemies of Israel. And he sees that God has blessed him with success in everything he does. So much so that he now has had time to build his own house 
and to, and to set up His own uh, city in Jerusalem where He will reign over all Israel. We can picture David sitting in his house in Jerusalem, in this house of cedar, and, and he's there studying, it seems, with Nathan, the Bible, his scriptures, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, specifically the Torah. And as he's studying through this part of Scripture with Nathan beside him, maybe he comes along to the point of Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, where it says, Seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all, the, all your tribes to put His name and make His habitation there. So he sees that there's a place that the Lord wants to choose out of all the tribes where His name will dwell. And then as you keep reading in chapter 12, verse 10, But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and when He gives you rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety, then the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levites that is within your town, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. So you can see David just studying this text and seeing in this text that when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord will choose, He will make His name dwell there. There's something that's going to happen. There's going to be a central location where God's name will dwell and all the people of God will know that they need to come to that place and worship God there. There is rest and then there is building this place to worship God and then there is great rejoicing in worshiping God and offering to God the things that they had vowed to Him. David looks at this text and he looks at his house and he looks at the tabernacle, the tent that is in Jerusalem now with the ark inside. And David feels ashamed. He compares his house of cedar to the tent of God and thinks something must be done about this. I must build the place that it seems the text is telling me will be built. That there will be a dwelling place of God among His people where His name will be. And Nathan agrees to this. We notice in, in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon says that David's heart was right in doing this. He has no bad intentions or, or evil thinking in doing this. He desires to do something good for God, to glorify God out of all the blessings that he has received. But God responds to this request and this desire of David's. That night, he comes to Nathan. And this is what God says. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you up 
brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God responds to David with, You're not going to build me a house. Notice how he he says it though. Would you build me a house to dwell in? It's almost as though he, he pictures this as a ridiculous thing. You see, God doesn't look at the house of David and think, Oh, I'm offended. (laughs) What are you thinking? Building your big house while I'm living over here in a tent, you know, that shows where your priorities are. God's not boastful like that. God's not proud like that. He doesn't care. This is a petty thing to God. And here is David presuming that God desires for something greater and more permanent to be built in Israel. And notice how God says, Have I asked you to do this? You're presuming that I want this, but I've not asked it. In fact, he points to the judges and and he says, Did the judges ever, did I ever command them to do this? This is interesting that he talks about the judges. The judges uh, were given rest many times. Sometimes they were given rest for 40 years. Sometimes they were given rest for 80 years. Even Joshua was given rest. And and Israel was given rest before. And God never asked for anything to be built during those time periods. But why not? Why hasn't God commanded this to happen yet? It seemed like in Deuteronomy, that was where it was going to go. That He was going to establish a place where His name would be, where He would cause His name to dwell, and people would come and rejoice and worship God there. Well, whenever we keep reading the words of God, more is revealed to us about why God hasn't done this yet. God's not done yet. (laughs) You see, the people of Israel have come into the Promised Land, they've conquered some of it... (laughs) And then they've become complacent and they've thought, well, God's given us rest from all our enemies and we're done. But God's not done yet. There is more conquering to do. And we'll see David do that as the next chapter shows. He continues to conquer and expands the borders even further. But along with that is a greater rest that God has in store for His people. Look with me at verses 8-11. through Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. God's not done with him yet. Verse 10, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. 
And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord to you, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David is going to be exalted forever. His name will be like one of the great ones. He will have a great name. He's reading the text in Deuteronomy. It says this is going to be the place where God's name will dwell. But now it's talking about David's name. David's going to be exalted. God's going to exalt him to be one of the greatest men who have ever lived. And he also says that Israel will be planted forever. He talks about Israel's planting. And that's a reference to the promises made to Abraham. The idea of... Abraham's descendants being given, being a huge nation, being given the land where he would plant them and they would dwell securely and that they would, his offspring would become a blessing to all the nations is being referred to here. And we're going to see more of that reference to that promise to Abraham. But also in that is a greater rest. Israel will be disturbed no more. As during the judges. The judges received rest, sometimes for 40 years, sometimes for 80 years, and then what always seemed to have happened the people fell back into sin, and God used the nations around them to judge the people, and there is a disturbance of rest. But now God says, they will be planted and they will be disturbed no more. No longer will violent people come in and and ransack the people. It's not going to be like it was in the time of Judges. There's going to be greater rest to come. But not only that, God also promises David a greater kingdom. Look with me at verse 11, the last part, into uh, verse 15. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David was going to make God a house. The Lord will make him a house. Whenever, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of, sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, who, put away, who I put away from before you. You see, the promises of God are added. You see rest, I'm going to give you greater rest. You see you've got a kingdom, I'm going to, I'm going to expand your kingdom, and I'm going to continue your kingdom. He says, I will make David a house. His lineage will continue through his offspring. You remember that word, right? Again, an Abrahamic offspring type of promise continuing here. The offspring of David would help bring about all of these promises that are coming from God. The rest of of the nation will come as the offspring rules. Over Israel. But also, he says that God will discipline this offspring. He will will allow that offspring to be disciplined in order to bring them back on the right track. If the offspring gets off track, he will bring them back on the right track. He will discipline them to correct their course. 
But he will never let the promise dissolve. The promise that is being made to David, to his descendants, will continue on. Not like Saul. With Saul, Saul was told, if you'll you'll keep the commands, if you'll continue in them, your kingdom will last forever. And now with David, we see he is keeping the commands and it is promised to David that his kingdom will last forever through his descendants. But there's also a third thing. There's rest, there's a kingdom, but there's also a house. God's house is promised. It's a very short little snippet. It, I like how God does this. It kind of shows that He is humble, right? And He will build me a house. That's pretty much all that He says in, in verse 13. And He will build me a house. There's no elaboration on that. It's going to happen, but that's not God's primary focus. His focus is on the blessings that He's promising to David. So what did that son do? As you're reading through all this, you're cringing inside. (laughs) All these promises are made to David, and it's made as though this kingdom is going to continue forever, and everything is going to, to proceed wonderfully through the son of David. Well, we know that Solomon is the next in line to the throne after a lot of problems, right? (laughs) We skip through the rest of 2 Samuel and wow. You know, uh, David was certainly not perfect. Uh, David made a ton of mistakes. But Solomon is the next one to become king. And we get to 1 Kings and, and, and we see him reigning. And the nation experiences a great rest. Great prosperity and rest and security is, is experienced in the land. That offspring receives a kingdom that is expanding, that is huge. And Solomon himself builds a temple for God in Jerusalem. The three things that were promised seem to be coming true. Until we get to 1 Kings chapter 11, right? In 1 Kings chapter 11, everything falls apart. It's revealed to us that that Solomon starts pursuing idols. He starts pursuing idolatry. He rebels against God. And God said, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. Well, that sounds a lot like what he said he wasn't going to do, like he did with Saul. God says he's going to tear the kingdom away, but he says, because of the promises made to David, I will keep two tribes For your descendants. And we see the nation split into Israel and Judah. But even then, the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes, they only last 200 years and then they're wiped out for their sins. The southern kingdom lasts another 100 years and then it's wiped out along with the temple that was promised. Those promises of God were presumed on by the people as a means of sin to the point where their sin is exceedingly great. What is God going to do now? How is God going to accomplish His promises now? Man has foiled the plan yet again, right? You think of the Garden of Eden. God, God has everything set up for man perfectly and just says, don't do this. 
And what does man do? He does. He eats of the tree and everything falls apart. Well, once again, man has messed up. Man has failed. How is God going to deliver the promises that He has made? Where is the eternal rest? Where is the eternal kingdom? Where is the temple, the dwelling place where God will be and where He will cause His name to dwell? We find the answer to that question in the prophets. In the prophets we see God consistently talking about raising up another David. He will raise up another David and with that David He will bring the ultimate rest, the ultimate kingdom, and the ultimate temple. Ezekiel tells us about that. Jeremiah also tells us about that. In Jeremiah 23 verse 5 it says, Raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. It's a a branch of David. It's someone who will be from the lineage of David. Even though the kingship is gone and, and there is no more nation under a kingship, God's going to do this Again, through a descendant of David. Well, how can he do this? We've proven over and over again that man can't do this. Man fails over and over again. How is God going to accomplish this? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 9 verse 6 and 7, says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How is this going to happen? God will do this. God will take on human form in the life of Jesus and He will accomplish this Himself. And that's what we see happen in the New Testament. The promises that were made to David... Man had failed to to accomplish. Man had failed to fulfill. And God decides He's going to do it Himself through Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfills all the promises that God makes to David. That God also makes to Abraham. Jesus is the one who brings us rest. Brent referred to this text this morning, right? Uh, if you didn't get it this morning, here it is again. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest we saw during David's time period was a rest from enemies. It was this rest and security in the land where they didn't have to worry about the enemies coming in and attacking them. But here Jesus talks about a rest that's more important than that. 
A rest for our souls. Think about that for a minute. A rest for our souls. Rest was the the intention that God had for us all along. But the, the rest that He desired for us to have is a rest in our souls. What kind of rest is that? That's a spiritual rest. Do you feel the spiritual rest that God has offered you? Think with me about David on the run from Saul. Think about the the, the difficulties that he faced as he was being pursued by an enemy who was about to take him out. Do you feel that about your sin? Does our sin grieve us? Or do we block it out of our minds? The sin that we are guilty of, we may be able to ignore, but it's still there, causing unrest in our souls. The sin that we're guilty of needed some way of finding release from, God has given in Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. We can be free from the burden of our souls. The sins we've committed, we can stop worrying about. The the separation between us and God because of our sins is no more. There is rest from our sin. There is rest from the death that we started as soon as we sinned. There is rest from the separation from God. Our souls can find rest. God's love makes this rest, freedom, peace, and security possible. The next promise that Jesus fulfills is a promise of the kingdom. Jesus brings us the kingdom. It's a huge point to grasp as we're studying through the New Testament. The Gospels open up talking about this and and revealing to us this is God's intention. God is seeking to establish this kingdom. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33, he's talking to Mary. Gabriel, the, the angel, is talking to Mary. And he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. You see that this is what they were all looking for in the New Testament. This is what they were awaiting the coming of. This David, this son of David, who will be the son of God, who will reign over Israel and whose kingdom will expand to cover the whole earth. Jesus brings us that. Jesus is the one who fulfills that. As we study through the New Testament, 
And we realize this is what God always intended and what God brought about in Jesus. We'll see multiple times throughout the New Testament, Jesus referred to as the Son of David. It will refer to this covenant that's being made that God is now able to reign through Jesus over all mankind. What does this mean to us? Now the idea of this kingdom and everything, we, we, we might know that it exists, you know, theoretically, it's, it's part of the theology, it's something we understand, but so what? How does that affect me in my everyday life? God reigns is the good news of the gospel. This is the most important aspect of the gospel that God has established His reign over the earth and has demonstrated that He is in complete and utter control, working everything according to His will. God is ruling through Jesus. And God is able to preserve and love those who are poor in spirit, those who come to Him weary and heavy laden, He is able to preserve them. He is able to watch after them. He is able to provide them with what they need in this life to remain faithful to Him. We can look to God as the One who is in complete control of everything. As we look at books like Daniel and we look at books like Revelation, we see God has the power to overthrow nations. God has the power to to destroy those who are hurting His own people. He has the power to bring about judgment against the wicked in order to free those who are His children. And that's what He is doing in the world. That's what we know our God is able to do in the world. Why would we trust in anything else? Why would we trust in this nation? Why would we trust in any any of the things that this world has to offer us when we know that God is in control of everything? He reigns. The third promise that Jesus comes and fulfills is to me the most interesting of the three. Jesus brings us the temple. How does He do that? You think about it. The temple was destroyed (laughs) when the Babylonians came in and wiped it out. They rebuilt it. Herod beautified it. And then it was destroyed again after Jesus died. Where is Jesus' temple? Was He supposed to build one while He was here? Are we supposed to build one? Should our building project be the plans that Ezekiel lays out in Ezekiel 40 through 47? When we look at Ezekiel and we see those plans for the temple and the, the, the things that are spoken about the temple, especially in chapter 47, we see that God had planned something for us that is bigger than we can imagine where God will dwell with us and where we will have life again. There's going to be a fountain that's talked about in 47 that will flow out of the temple that will turn into this huge river that will bring life 
to all the plants and all the animals and turn the salt water into fresh water. There's a, there's a discussion about a temple in the Old Testament that whenever we come to the New Testament, we start to understand a little bit more and it's bigger than some physical building that we might have in mind. This is not going to be a temple like Solomon's temple because even as Solomon himself said, God does not live in houses built by men. Paul repeated that sentiment in Acts chapter 17 whenever he's talking in Athens and saying, you know, this is the, I'm talking to you about the unknown God. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands or worshipped by what we can offer with our hands. God has something different in line, something different in His mind. And it's revealed to us in the New Testament. In John chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, this is what Jesus had to say. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. Would you raise it up in three days? But He was speaking about the temple of His body. When therefore He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The temple where we will find the dwelling place of God is in His Son, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is where we go to enter into the midst of God, to worship God, to find God. Jesus is the temple where we can find atonement where we can find relationship. We saw in Exodus, God wanted to dwell with His people. And we saw in the New Testament that God did dwell with His people. And also, He is dwelling with His people. Through Jesus. Also in John chapter 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is another one of those very interesting texts. It's on the last day of the feast, the great day. Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. To understand this text, you have to understand the implications of what all's going on. This is the last day of the, the, the Feast of Tabernacle, the eighth day, which is a day when the Jews would take a, a, some water and they would go up to the temple steps and they would pour out water in hopes that God will turn that into the river of Ezekiel 47. This is that last day where they're performing this, hoping for God to restore Israel. And here Jesus stands up in the, out, right outside the temple and, and says, If you're thirsty, come to Me for drink. I am the fountain of life. I am the source of relationship with God. Jesus is the temple. But that's not even 
the most fascinating part. It's very fascinating. It may be the most fascinating. But in addition to that, Jesus also says, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The New Testament reveals to us that Jesus is the temple of God. It also reveals to us that we are temples of God. Collectively, we are the temple of God, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Individually, we are the temple of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Out of us flows the ability to have a relationship with God. As we speak the truth, as we speak the word of Jesus, we are able to spread the life that Jesus has given to us. As we believe, we too become fountains of life for those around us. So we see in this text in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promises of who Jesus is to be and what Jesus is going to bring for each and every one of us. Jesus is the Son of David. He will give us rest for our souls. He will be our King so God can reign over mankind, be in control and save us from our enemies. And He will allow for us to be with God. What do we need to do now that we know all this? This is a big deal. This is a very important scripture for us to understand what God had had intended since the fall of mankind. As soon as we were kicked out of the garden and we failed, God had plans to bring about this offspring who would provide us with rest that we had in the garden, allow God to be with us and and to reign over us. I want to look at one more text in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55 gives us the invitation. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which is not satisfied. Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. God gives us the invitation to enter into a covenant relationship with Him akin to what God has with David, where His steadfast love was with Him. Even though He made mistakes in His life, God was with Him. God loved Him. And God loves us and wants us to to drink of the fountain of life that He's given us through Jesus, to dwell with Him and to submit to His rule in our lives. If you haven't done that, if you haven't submitted to the, to the call of God, the imitation of God, He offers this freely for all of us to partake of. And you can do that. If you have need, if you, if you understand what you need to do, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.